Scripture reading this morning will be from Romans chapter 4, verses 23 through chapter 5, verse 2. It's on page 1002. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into his grace, in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Good morning. It is good to see each one of you. If you are visiting with us again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, To our new families, we extend a welcome. It is good to have you. We hope that together we can grow and serve God, and that next year we'll be closer to God, and the next year, and the next year, and then we can spend an eternity with Him. Yancey, in his book, What's so amazing about grace tells a story of one of his friends. He said his friend was riding a bus into work. And as he sat behind two individuals, he overheard a conversation. One was reading Scott Peck's book, The Road Less Traveled. The gentleman across the aisle looks over and says, hey, what are you reading? He says, well, I don't really know what it is. A friend gave it to me. Well, what's it about? Well... I don't know. They just said it was a book that really changed their life and that I ought to read it. Maybe it would help me in my life. And they began to flip through the chapter headings. They said, well, here's one about discipline. Here's one about love. Well, here's a chapter about grace. The gentleman on the other side of the aisle said, what's grace? And the one reading the book said, I don't know. I haven't gotten that far in the book. Have you ever stopped to think about that outside of the realm of God, of spiritual things, of Christianity, very little is known about grace? This wonderful topic in which we bask to think that therein lies our hope, so many don't know about grace. They go into workplaces that operate not on grace, but on bottom lines. They go into careers hoping to excel, not by grace, but by looking out for number one. They come in and they watch the evening news or they read the daily paper and they don't hear anything about grace. They read about crime and about bad news and sad statistics. Friends, this morning, I'd like for you and I to think about this wonderful topic of grace, but also be aware of the fact as we look at this wonderful topic that Many times, at least from the religious standpoint of a broad sense, many times when we do hear about this topic, we hear things that simply are not accurate. And what a shame that is to have such a beautiful topic that's mistaught. For example, in this same book, he quotes an individual, and I would like to read to you this quote. He says, but God's forgiveness is unconditional. It comes from a heart that does not demand anything for itself, a heart that is completely empty of self-seeking. Friends, that's not true. God's grace, God's forgiveness is not unconditional. 
And many times when we finally do hear the topic of grace, individuals speak of grace as if it were unconditional. Do you realize if God's grace was unconditional, no one could be lost? Do you realize there would be no reason for you and I to talk about our spiritual life and the hope of heaven in the sense that maybe it might happen if we decide to live our life for the Lord? It wouldn't matter if we lived our life for the Lord or not because if it's unconditional, it reaches down to all men. Now, this is unconditional. The love of God is unconditional. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But you know what? The world has to decide if they want to respond to that gracious gift that God has offered. When I'd like to read for you just a verse out of 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8. In 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 8, he says talking about what the Lord Jesus is going to do when He's revealed from heaven the mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't sound like an unconditional grace, does it? There He said that individuals could be saved, but what did they have to do? They could be spared of that vengeance, of that flaming fire, but what did they have to do? They had to obey the gospel in order to be spared of that. They had to know of God in order to experience that. And so when we look in the scriptures and we see this beautiful topic of grace, we see that it demands a response for us. In in Titus, the second chapter, verse 11, he teaches us that grace teaches us to deny ungodliness, worldliness, to live a sober and righteous life. You see, the fact is we have to make a change. If in fact we're going to accept the grace of God, but still grace is a difficult topic sometimes to grasp because it seems too wonderful. You know, it's interesting to me anytime you bring up the topic of Jeffrey Dahmer in a Bible class setting where there can be discussion, how there almost always be someone that will say, I know what the Bible teaches and I know what history says that 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 young man did, but I still find it very hard to believe that God would ever save him. You remember he was the one that 17 teenage boys or very young men, he not only killed them, but he practiced cannibalism and 11 of their body parts were found in his apartment and freezer and etc., But do you remember after his conviction, someone from the church of Christ began to send him information about a God that loved him. He requested to learn more after several studies. He began to have studies with a preacher in person. And from there, he repented of his sins. As a matter of fact, he said before, he had no guidance because he did not know God. He was baptized into Christ for the remission of his sins and shortly after that he was murdered in prison. Now friends, I'm not trying to judge his heart. I'm just simply saying if what he did on the outward reflected what it appears of his heart of a man that truly changed, a man that truly wanted to serve God, a man that truly wanted repentance of sins, what do we see there? We see His only hope of salvation being our only hope of salvation. And that is a gracious God that would reach down and offer us what we don't deserve. No, Jeffrey Dahmer doesn't deserve to spend an eternity in heaven. But it appears that He probably will. No, you don't deserve to spend an eternity in heaven. But you could choose a life of accepting God's grace 
And we could. What a beautiful topic. And so it is, as we study Romans, the fourth and the fifth chapter, Paul lays out some beautiful discussion about hope. You see, we can have that hope only because of God's grace. And he speaks of that hope, and in verse 2 he says, rejoicing in hope as he speaks of that grace. And so we've been studying throughout this year from time to time, the joy of the Lord is my strength. There are things that just gives us a greater purpose for living, a greater empowerment for living, a greater joy for living. And one of the things that we have that the world doesn't have is we have grace and that grace gives us hope. And we have something that looks forward to eternity, far beyond what this world could ever know. And so as we look in our text of Romans, the fourth chapter, I'd like for you to notice again, verse 24 and 25. And as we look at 24, notice the word it, where he says, but also for us, it shall be imputed to us. Now, the the it that's being referred there goes back to verse 22. It was accounted to him for righteousness, which goes back to the illustration that began in verse 13 of Abraham. Abraham believed that God's promise that he gave him, that he would be the father of a great nation, and that through his nation would all the families of the earth be blessed, he believed that to be true, even when he didn't have that son. And so that kind of faith, that kind of righteous living, even when he couldn't see it with his own eyes, he didn't see how it was going to be uh, possible That becomes the example that Paul uses. And he says, that kind of faith was imputed to him for righteousness. Now note when we look at 24, we too can have that kind of faith. It's for those who believe in him. Now notice what we have to believe. Who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. What is it that we have to believe if we're going to have this kind of faith? Number one, we have to believe that Jesus Christ did raise from the dead. Maybe that's easy for some of us here because we've heard it all of our life. But friends, even if it's easy, it doesn't take away from the importance of it. Do you remember Thomas? We call him Doubting Thomas. Do you remember when Jesus showed himself to him and he said, Take your fingers and touch my hand. Take your hand and thrust it in my side. And he looked at him as an unbeliever and he said, Now believe. You remember on the road to Emmaus when those individuals, which is strange to me, they waited in Jerusalem for the third day and they even waited to find out that the tomb was found empty. But when they found out that the individuals went back and found the empty tomb but did not find a corpse, they left Jerusalem. They knew the tomb was empty, but they didn't see Jesus. And they left Jerusalem and it's there that that Jesus appears to them on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And you remember... He doesn't say to them, oh, I'm so sorry, you're discouraged. He calls them foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said. And then he declared to them what Moses and the prophets had said, how he ought to suffer and how he would die and how he would be resurrected. You see, the reason Jesus was sternly correcting them was because they should have believed what they could not see. The prophets said that he would be resurrected. Even if they never saw the resurrected Jesus, they should have believed. Do you remember in Acts, the 26th chapter, when Paul is preaching to Agrippa? And there's a powerful sermon about Christianity. And it's just when he gets to that topic, that Jesus would suffer and that he would die. And then that he would be resurrected. That Festus blurts out with a loud voice. Paul, much learning has made you mad. Have you ever thought why he interrupted him at that point? He interrupted him at that very point 
Because in that day and time, just like in our day and time, there's some people that have a very difficult time believing in the resurrection. Friends, as Christians, we believe in the resurrected Lord and we live for that great and final day of resurrection of our own bodies from the grave so that we can be delivered to the Father. But I need to note something else about this faith system that we must have. Did you notice there in 25, he's delivered up because of our offenses. I must realize that Jesus Christ's death upon the cross, that he died the death of, of course, execution. And he died for sins. But he was a perfect individual. He never committed any sins. So what sins did he take to the cross? He took your sins. He took my sins. He took everyone that's ever lived. He took their sins to the cross and he paid that price. The word justification comes from a judicial term. It's the idea that there is a penalty. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6 and 23, probably on your very same opening in your Bible there. There is a penalty for sin. Romans 3 and 23, we're all guilty of sin. And Jesus Christ tells us, I will pay that penalty, because the penalty's death. I'll pay that penalty for you. Do you remember the story of the crucifixion? Do you remember Barabbas? Have you ever thought about what it would have been to be Barabbas? Have you ever thought about spending the night, just like the other two thieves that hung on each side of Jesus, knowing this is my last night to live? I've already been found guilty Tomorrow, I'll fulfill the sentence. Tomorrow, I'll hang on a cross. You know, it's one thing to know tomorrow I'll die. But what if you knew tomorrow you'd die the death of execution on a cross? Can you imagine what his night must have been? Can you imagine how surprised, how much joy, how much peace he experienced from a physical aspect Whenever he heard the next day, this innocent man, Jesus, the only perfect man that's ever walked the face of this earth, Barabbas, he's going to die in your place. There'll be a thief on this side, and there'll be a thief on this side. But Barabbas, there'll be Jesus on that third cross. You can go now. Can you imagine the shackles being taken off? Can you imagine how he must have been stunned? I just wonder if, if when the, the prison door was open, if they, if they had to say again, really, you can go. You're free. Can you imagine walking out into the light? I just wonder. Surely he stood at a distance sometime that day and went to the place of the skulls. And surely he looked upon that hill. Surely he looked and thought, that was supposed to be me. Friends, I must understand that the penalty of sin is death and Jesus died for me. And if I don't understand that, I have misunderstood the beauty of justification. Because justification can only be had by Jesus Christ because of His resurrection. But because in His death, He died in my place. 
Notice, if you will, as we go to the fifth chapter in verse 1 and 2. And if you don't have your Bible open, that is the very next verses. We're not skipping a series of verses to go to the fifth chapter. But as we go to this fifth chapter, notice as we read verse 1 and 2 again, I'd like for you to note the word justification again, or this time it's going to be justified. And notice what it comes by. Or as we read about grace, how do we have access to it? Look again at the fifth chapter in verse 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom? Talking about through Jesus Christ also. We have access by faith unto this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. As we think about that justification, we realize that it is faith. That accesses God's grace. It's faith that accesses the justification of God. Look again there in verse 1. Having been justified by faith. Faith is our responsibility. Justification is offered because of the gracious gift of Jesus Christ. But we have to decide if we're going to have faith. Romans 10 and 17 tells us faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We decide if we want to believe God. We decide if we want to obey God. I hope you have your Bibles open. If you don't, you might want to be opening to Romans, the fourth chapter. That's in page 1002 in your pew Bibles. And I'd like for us to just scan some things about this paragraph in the fourth chapter about Abraham. And let's think about this great faith that is offered through Abraham. Notice, if you will, in verse 17, he reminds them of the promise. He says, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. You see there, he's speaking about a tense there. God spoke to Abraham about making him the father of a great nation before Isaac was ever born. And Paul brings out the fact. He says, do you hear what God is doing? God is speaking of something in present tense that's going to happen in the future. Well, how, how can God do that? Because God is faithful. If God says something's going to happen, we can already go ahead and speak about it in the present tense. It's going to happen. But what is the, the point that Paul's making? The point that he's making is we ought to believe. It's that simple. We ought to believe. One of the greatest statements of hope to me, is found there in verse 18. Notice how he describes Abraham's belief in the fourth chapter. Who contrary to hope, in hope, believed. So they became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. Abraham, how can you believe something that is so foreign from what your eyes can see? He says, I understand my wife is far beyond the childbearing years. I understand... We're way too old to have children. But I believe it's going to happen. Why? Oh, I realize it's contrary to hope. Why do you believe it? Because of the hope I have in God. And then he quotes what God said. So shall your descendants be. Where does Abraham's hope come from? It came from listening to the word of God. Friends, that's where faith is built. Is whenever I can say, I trust the Word of God, even when my own eyes can't see it. That's what verse 19 is about. He realized that the body was old, but he did not consider the body. Notice in 19, it begins, in not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. We're talking about faith. We're talking about faith that has access to being justified, access to the grace of God. 
It's a faith that relies not upon what it sees, but it's a faith that relies upon what is spoken of God. And notice in verse 20, the conviction. Notice how it endures. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. What do we learn from 20? We learn about endurance from verse 20. He didn't waver at the promises. What do we learn from 21? We learn of the conviction. He believed with all of his heart that God was going to keep what he said he was going to keep. It seems impossible. Abraham says, I have no problem with it seeming impossible. God's always been able to do what was impossible. So you see, it's this great example of faith. Abraham, what do you believe? I believe what God said. Even when it doesn't make sense with your eyes, that's right. He says, I'm not going to waver at the promise that God has made. Instead, I'm fully convicted. I'm fully convinced that it's going to happen. What did that do for Abraham? Paul writes and says, God counted to him for righteousness. God looked down and said, Abraham, you're doing the right thing. What does that mean to us today? When Paul wanted to help us understand how to live a life that could receive the justification that Jesus offers, that could have access to grace. He says, I want you to understand Abraham. And when you can understand that kind of faith, then you can have that kind of grace. Think with me for just a moment as we think out of verse 2 there. He said, by faith, that we have access by faith into this grace. You realize how important that is? We want God's grace. Oh, we don't deserve it, but we need it. It's the only hope that we have to be saved. We cannot be saved without grace. Someone says, okay, how do I have access to grace? The Word of God says, it's by faith we have access to grace. This morning, as we think about access, it's kind of ironic that I'm not in the car I usually drive this morning. Because when I got ready to leave the house, I couldn't find my keys. And so, I borrowed Tracy's car this morning. Because, you know, even though that car is available, even though that car has gas and it has the ability to run, it has the tags and the insurance, didn't need anything this morning except one thing. All I needed was a key. Friday afternoon, the Xerox man came late in the afternoon, just before the evening started, trying to get the copier back running for the weekend. The document that had been jamming came off of Miss Carol's computer, and so he and I had this little dialogue and thought it was best if we try running that same document on the front and back side. It's the Sunday bulletin. And, uh, and he says, hey, can, can you print that? I said, sure, I can print that. I went to Miss Carol's computer and, you know, woke it up and... It had kind of what you see up there. Not that exact thing, but you know where it asks for access. Oh man, it had been a while. My feeble mind. I knew she had told me a long time ago what, that, what her password was. And I thought, I said to her, I said, I don't know if I'll be able to do this. I said, I'm supposed to know this, but it's been a while. And so I just put my hands on the keyboard. I started typing. And it hit return. I thought, that was dumb. There's no way that would work. There it came. I was like, whoa, that was good. I said, that won't happen again in a hundred years. I said, that must have been way back in the subconscious mind. Uh, Don't know where that came from, but guess what? 
I had access. Now, without that password, he'd have had to test the Xerox through a different means because we would not have entered the access, the access to her computer. Friends, we can't tell God all of the various ways we want to reach His grace. God tells us to whom He'll give His grace. And He says, I'm offering it to all mankind, but those that want to come to me by faith can have access to that grace. It's by faith that we access the grace of God. What is that faith? He's given a beautiful example at the end of the fourth chapter of Abraham. It's someone that lives by the Word of God. It's someone that believes that God can keep His promises. It's someone that will not waver in their faith even though they don't see how everything's going to work out. And they are fully convinced, they're fully convicted that God can do what God says He can do. And when we understand that, that brings us uh, to this third point of hope. Look again at the end of verse 2. At the end of verse 2, he speaks... In the middle, he says, having access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Notice as he speaks of this grace, he says it's in grace that we stand. In other words, it's in grace we endure. But he also says it's in grace that we have rejoice, the rejoicing of hope. And so as we think about this, being hopeless... What comes to your mind when you think of hopeless? Go to a mercy room and they say, it's hopeless. You, you look at finances and, and they're so upside down, you say, it's hopeless. You look at a relationship that's broken beyond repair and, and the other says to you, it's hopeless. There's not any good feelings that come from the word hopeless. And Paul writes and he says, I want to tell you how great grace is. In grace, we can stand. We haven't fallen into the middle of the bed in the fetal position and cried our eyes out because it's hopeless. In grace, we can stand. It's in grace that we have the great rejoicing. Instead of being hopeless, we can be hope-filled. And that brings a reason to live. You see, when we look at this lesson this morning, we see that everything we've studied, in a sense, is tied to grace. When we studied about the justification that Jesus brings, that's God's part. When we study about faith, that's our part. That's our responsibility. And the blessed result of God's part and our part coming together is blessed hope. It's rejoicing in hope. This morning, if you don't have a life that is hid in the grace of God, because of your life of faith, you're missing the real joy of Christianity. Christians ought to be the happiest people in the world. Not because of everything that's happening at the moment but because of everything we look forward to. Rejoicing in hope. If you're not a child of God this morning and you want to come to know that life of hope, that life from verse 1 that experiences the peace of God, 
Won't you be baptized into Christ this morning for your remission of your sins as a believer that's willing to turn their life and live a life of faith? Maybe you've become a Christian and somewhere along the way you've lost the way of faith. You haven't lived that life of faith. You haven't had that conviction and your faith has not been one that has not wavered. Won't you come back this morning to the Lord? He's a God of second chances. He's a God that welcomes you home. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.